hidden identities and gender wars. Race and belonging, Shakespeare's Othello holds out a startling mirror to the turbulent times we live in now. Pinned against a backdrop of rising populism, xenophobia and deepening tensions, we explore how a 400-year-old play casts a spotlight on contemporary Britain. Hello, I'm Ramona Ali, and welcome to The Othello Project, a podcast series which accompanies English touring theatre's groundbreaking production of Shakespeare's Othello. In this final episode, we unpack our findings so far and we look ahead to the next exciting stage of Othello's Odyssey. I catch up with reporter Aina J. Khan as she comes to the end of her road trip to ask for her conclusions about modern Britain and whether she views Othello any differently to when she first set out. We'll hear from the artist-in-residence for the Othello project, Tanya Manira-Williams, who's toured with the play across 10 UK cities. She'll be performing her final poetic response to the production. And to draw the series to a close, the project's creative advisor, Abdurrahman Malik, offers concluding thoughts on the impact and legacy of the Othello project. Welcome to our final episode, Othello's Next Journey. Well, Aina is now joining me in the studio for the last time as our series comes to an end. Aina, you have been so busy. You've been meeting so many different people. You've been on the road. So, Aina, what new insights have you learnt through travelling around and meeting with different people using this lens of Othello? I guess I was surprised with the fact that he was a, a black man in, in Venetian society. That didn't really resonate with other people who, who come from similar backgrounds, and even with me as well. I, I mean, I say this as a, a British-Pakistani woman, um, but to people like Majid... Mar- Majid, Majid, the, the, the mayor of Sheffield. Yeah, who, you know, he's a black man himself, he's from a Somali background, and to other people that we spoke with as well, um, who may or may not have, you know, come up on the podcast, they didn't really resonate with his story. I mean, the interesting point to raise about this whole experience as well is that I learned that all at once Shakespeare is universal, but also alien to some people as well. Um, so when Majid talked about, you know, his experience going becoming part of a theatre play and kind of coming out through the back door because he, he was embarrassed if his friends found out that, you know, he was involved with theatre, that also speaks volumes as well, not particularly about the story of Othello itself, but more about what people think about theatre as well, that it's not it's not a space for them. Um, I mean, when yeah, I say not them, for the young, it's not for the youth, yeah, not for the cool. Them, they yeah. are the young people. They are those who are from minority groups. Mm-hmm. After you saw the play and also after all of your conversations with different people, does it make you feel more optimistic or does it make you more pessimistic about the world today? I'm sorry to say, I think it made me more pessimistic. I, I remember coming away from the play and just having tears in my eyes and feeling god this is this is just too much to handle because of the the, the personal like the story the single story of othello and desdemona what happens in the end but then having spoken to so many people across the country and and listened to their experiences i mean the interesting thing for me is also um listening to different generational experiences as well in oldham i spoke to women who were growing up uh, um in in the 60s and 70s but i mean 34 years on now 
I feel like that period has really come full circle in 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 in, in different ways. And um, can can you tell me like you've had some optimistic thoughts <laughs> that that you I know mean, will will dispel the darkness? It isn't the most uplifting play, of course, but it really makes you think. And I've often said that I feel like. I'm an optimistic pessimist or a pessimistic optimist because you will often feel both at the same time. You see so many wonderful uh, responses to this play. People are really exploring their identities in really like uh, beautiful ways. But also you see things like racism that's really rife in the communities and in society and you see the rise of the far right. So there is... There's always this kind of weird battle between it all, but also it can be something that is going to, it's a challenge and it's something that we need, we really need to rise to. And I think that through cultural responses to plays like Othello, we can change things. We can create um, spaces where we can talk about these issues and we can break down some of these barriers that exist between so many of us and change them into something really positive. I mean, it's a really difficult question, but even Richard Twyman, the artistic director, was saying that he sees in the future a a, a British Muslim director taking on Othello and really viewing all of the characters through that that Muslim perspective. So I, I think that's one of the things that can be a future production of Othello and also a female producer, a female director of Othello, uh, a Muslim female director would be really interesting to see how she would tackle the, the, the female elements of the play. Actually, also, I wonder as well that if you had, not forget about the gender of the director, but imagine if we created the same characters but changed their gender. Yeah, oh my God, that would be I, interesting. That would completely change everything. Imagine yeah. having a black female Othello or, if, for instance, mm. changing a Iago into a woman as well. How would that change things too? It would completely change the narrative. Um, right, that's the next production. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, Romero, you one. can direct it if you want. <laughs> no, I'd love to. We can do it together. Aina, in all your encounters and your conversations, was there anything that really chimed with you? I think what Tanya Munira-Williams said about this idea of Britishness, that really, really hit home because that's just, it's a, it's a really kind of choppy water that I'm, I'm trying to navigate through myself. And, I, and it's something that I've seen so many of my my peers as well trying to figure themselves out like what, how, where do we belong in this landscape and and you know it, it's like Tanya said as well um the fact that it's open-ended is is definitely a source of anxiety but also it's something that is it's positive too because that means that we can seize it and redefine it for ourselves and yeah so actually I've been talking about being pessimistic but maybe ultimately I am optimistic about the future as long as we just seize it with our own hands and steer it in the right direction we'll be okay I completely resonate with what you say about it being a multicultural identity because Britain, we have this little island, but it's always absorbed lots of different cultures and lots of different identities, even like the people we look to as as the epitome of Britishness, like Freddie Mercury of Queen. You know, he came from a Zoroastrian background from India and then we uh, uh, of Persian descent. Yeah, exactly. So it's about reclaiming who all of these people are and we, we can absorb Britishness and it's all about, you know, self-definition. And now poet and cultural producer Tanya Manira-Williams performs her artistic response for the Othello Project. We are like seams, sitting on the in-betweens, stitching together the unreachable, stretching for the unseen, looping our way, patching the holes of what's broken until we are whole, patching the holes of what's broken in search of our soul, 
Captured is our consciousness, ransom and held hostage, reason chained and left in bondage. We are like seams, sitting on the in-between, weaving madness into norms and norms into dreams, dreams into waves and currents of the obscene. Rippling its way into the thoughts that we believe, the faith that we keep, judgments that we make and the theories that we speak. They are not alone, because every soul is seeking home, including those who arrive on rafts and boats, those who send up prayers and cling tightly to their hopes, cling tightly to their babies who will maybe end up at sea, but even the slight possibility of a muddied sort of dignity is better than the barbarity of living in tyranny. At least we tried, at least we tried to stay alive, never thinking for a moment how bitter it would be on the other side. Such a hard pill to swallow, when hearts of those who receive them are so hollow, empty and shallow. A drop of dew on the petal of a thorny red rose is the measurement of depth. Yet, you are not alone, because every soul is seeking home including those who for a chance to breathe a free breath of air, burnt off fingertips, mothers who tied babies to their hips, mothers who stayed behind but were cautious of time and could read the signs so they doused their loved ones in whispers of sacred scripture, put a hand on their heads and said, La ilaha illallah, now you say Muhammad or Rasulullah, repeating this ritual three times before kissing them on their forehead and saying Bismillah, bye, now go, knowing full well she will never see them grow. Still, I am not alone, because every soul is seeking home, including sons who should have been skimming stones across rivers, counting the many ways in which the stones could bounce the surface, almost as if to map the multitude of chances they should have had. Instead, they fight wars they did not sign up for. Frayed reality. Something got caught in the fabric and then snagged it. And we don't have the know-how to keep up with all the loose ends, so we double-stitch at the hem, convinced that the nightmare will end. We pretend, avoid, or don't see, content with our own bloody apathy. We have an appetite for the other, devouring difference like a delicacy until our guts have no room, eating to the extremes, bursting at the seams. We are like seams, sitting on the in-between, stitching together the unreachable, stretching for the unseen, looping our way, patching the holes of what's broken until we are whole, patching the hole of what's broken in search of our soul. A faded memory. Blurry apparition. We are more human than ghostly, though others have a phobia of getting close to me. More ghostly than ghastly. Somehow I've become a shadow of me. Gender dictating my humanity. Worth decided by which man is standing next to me. Even in my own demise, the taking of a life whose death is seen as being more worthy. In a class-based society where women are replaceable commodities who are taught no camaraderie. We are expected to compete while others feast and consume they are all but stomachs and we are all but food to eat us hungrily and when they are full they belch us still we are not alone this earth we roam meeting souls who just like us are seeking home sitting on the in-between stitching together the unreachable stretching for the unseen weaving madness into norms and norms into dreams gripping the edge of sanity lace trimmed and ribbons with bows patches covering the holes welcome to my rag dress reality let's see Guys, come on, you don't have to clap. Come on, <laughs> come on. Mm-hmm. No, we have to. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> 
for any of our listeners who wouldn't know, can you just please describe yourself? My name is Tanya Manera Williams. I also go by the name of Manera um, Pilgrim. And I am a spoken word artist, a culture producer and my mother's daughter. Wonderful. And how did you come to write this piece? So I'm a part of the Othello Project. I've been traveling around the country, doing workshops with different groups. Um, you know, I've seen the, um, the actual production in several places and just sort of feeling out the audience. Um, this piece came to my heart, really, is the only way I could describe it. It's so interesting because I, even though I talk about the Othello Project and I talk about how relevant it is at this time, I really didn't think it would be so relevant to the time, especially in regards to talking about things like the so-called refugee crisis and all of these different things. I didn't realise that that would be so prominent within the actual piece. And I was supposed to write the piece as I went along, but I didn't. In the end, I decided to write it after going to most of the um, workshops. And this is really what just came about through the, um, you know, through people participating, um, the dynamics of the group, the demographics of the group, and this is what came to, to my heart. And can you tell us a little bit more about these groups? Just give us a little bit more of a, paint a bit more of a picture for us. You know, up north there's a sort of different dynamic to, to down south. So there's this idea, and a lot of people said this to me, I didn't say this to them, a lot of people have this idea that like where they're from is sort of deprived, you know, is neglected, is forgotten about, and not much culture comes there. So first of all, to have the opportunity to be a part of of this project, they were really excited, but also to have this dialogue between the South and the North, and looking at how, you know, gender differences may be different in the North in comparison to in the South, even though we're a part of the same, you know, we're just part of the same country, part of the same UK, you know, um, you know, I worked with, as I said, many newly arrived people, which was really interesting for me because I lived in Sudan for a year. And some of the people who I met when I left Sudan, they actually had to run away from Sudan in that same year, you know, but just hearing their stories and, you know, just looking at how passionately they felt about this. And actually, traditionally, a lot of theater, a lot of theater companies don't really look for audiences like this, don't really try to, I don't want to say engage, but don't develop their audiences enough to be inclusive. But actually, with this project, it was developed so much that you have people from various different backgrounds, you know, ethnicities, countries, age groups, you know, it was just really fascinating. And talking about different centuries, this is, you know, 400-year-old play. Um, and you... You mentioned um, in one of your videos for this uh, project that you didn't really connect with Othello when mm. you were younger, but things have changed for you, for you now. And over the course of your experience with this process, do you feel closer or more distant to Othello? I feel like Othello is almost a personal story about me. <gasps> I feel like Othello belongs to me. It's mine, you know, because... I really related to the whole idea of searching for a place to belong. In the poem, I mentioned that everyone is seeking home. And I feel like to an extent we are all seeking home. But sometimes there are things that make us maybe feel like we don't belong within society. And, you know, that it's, it's very clear that even though a fellow, he has found the love of his life, all of these insecurities start to peep through. And as a result of that, he he's 
he's been manipulated or he's manipulated into doing some of the, the worst things, you know. And sometimes I look at the baddies within society or the bad guys within society and you can see that there's a process of manipulation going on. And actually that could be anyone, you know. It just depends on who you've got on your side or who you are listening to. That could be anyone. And I really related to that. So how was your experience with writing this poem? It was a very emotional experience. Several times I attempted to write the poem and I just couldn't. I just came up with a few lines. And then I kept going back to it and kept going back to it. And it's only once I started to really reflect, not just on the production itself, but actually on the experience of the workshop and my own experiences and trying to connect those various different things that it actually started to flow. And even once it flowed, it was... You know, I still wasn't really aware of it, but now reading it back, and I haven't learnt it completely yet, but now reading it back, it really strikes me how emotional it is. It's almost like it's not from me. It was just something, an experience that came through me. But actually reading it back, it really touches me. And at times I read it and I want to cry because actually we are living in this society that is fraying. And um, I think we just need to be aware of that and try to find a way to come together through um, initiatives like this. But that's not the end for this production of Othello. I spoke to director Richard Twyman about the next adventure for this play. Well, there's this, there's these these podcasts, and there's actually a huge number of other events. Um, And then in the new year, we are beginning our sort of our our first international dates um, from English Touring Theatre, and the production will be going to Dubai Opera House. Um, English Touring Theatre is going global. That's, that's, we are loving it. <laughs> that's the aim, yeah. Uh, I suppose, uh, as I said, I'd had a really international background. I grew up and spent most of my life abroad. And uh, one of my most significant jobs in my career was working at the International Department of the Royal Court, where I got to travel all over the world. And when I took over English Touring Theatre, I had a real problem with taking over a company called with the word English in the title. I, I sort of had, partly I grew up in Scotland and, and the Far East, so I'd never lived in England until I was 18. So I felt, A, underqualified to know what that meant. And B, um, it's a word, doesn't it, that has so many connotations at the moment it's sort of really being wrestled over and post-Brexit has has become a really really interesting dialogue around it and so I wanted us as a company to be part of that dialogue and not for it to be an English uh, that, that was nostalgic or was backward looking or was congratulatory or anything like that but an English that was forward looking and, and imaginative and searching and questioning and part of that I feel is opening up dialogue uh, with the rest of the world and part of that is international touring so we're really excited um, to be able to take it to an audience in the Middle East I think that would be really really interesting and we're excited to have the responses there and hopefully we can curate and create a lot of events around that and meet new audiences and we're also hoping that will be the start of um, a larger kind of international um, life for the production. In every episode of this podcast we're going to bring you a short reflection on the themes covered in every episode each written by an important British Muslim voice and to draw the series to a close the project's creative advisor Abdurrahman Malik offers concluding thoughts on the impact and legacy of the Othello project. There is a line at the end of Othello which haunts me. As the play reaches its final tragic moment, the moor of Venice, the soul of Desdemona on his hands, racked by guilt, realizing the full measure of his crime and his betrayal by Iago, rails against himself. In Shakespeare's words, and say besides that, in Aleppo once, 
where a malignant and a turbaned Turk beat a Venetian and traduced the state, I took by the throat the circumcised dog and smote him thus. Othello speaks of himself. He speaks of the various guises he has had to wear, the truth of his faith and history he has had to hide, and the parts of himself he has had to publicly and privately murder in order to live as freely as he can in so-called cosmopolitan Venice, a city of Jewish ghettos where the prayer of non-Christians is banned and foreigners are sequestered at night. Here is Othello, Moor, Muslim, black, who has turned his sword red with the blood of his brother Turk, who wears the cross for all to see, even as he prostrates to Mecca in the private quarters of his home, and fingers his prayer beads, remembering God, who at times must seem distant, maybe even absent. This is Othello, the Moor of Venice, who was born into a society, a world, rich in culture, history, poetry, and faith, then enslaved first by people who probably called themselves believers like him and later by Christian slave traders. He found freedom, but at a price. Long before he took a knife to himself, he had already smothered much of who he truly was. It's been over two years since Richard Twyman asked me to be part of Shakespeare at the Tobacco Factory and English Touring Theatre's production of Othello. It was an invitation to imagine whether this 400-year-old play could speak to our present moment in a new and exciting way. We imagined how understanding Othello's spiritual life and identity might change the way that we viewed the play. The results were startling, brought to life by now three amazing casts with performances spanning the UK and now Dubai, Othello struck a nerve with audiences and critics. This production meant something. As I wrote on the eve of the premiere, we watched this Othello in a period of profound unease. Brexit, Trumpism, populism, refugees, terror, the desirability of an inclusive, pluralistic global society is under scrutiny. Our diversity is no longer a strength. We turn over in our heads the possibility that there are some who are just too different to be us. This is truer today than ever. The Othello Project, of which this podcast series is an essential part, has allowed for incredible artists writers, community organizers, journalists, thinkers, and scholars to bring new meaning to the play. Shakespeare's words have been a manna to these thoughtful, provocative, and at times counterintuitive responses. We have explored race, religion, patriarchy, gender, politics, and power. In this series, Ramona Ali and Aina J. Khan, with the able assistance of Tom Glasser, have gone into the heart of modern Britain. Munira Williams, Humera Khan, Akhil Ahmed, Rabia Hussein, and Muhammad Muhammad have forced us to question not only the assumptions of the play, but our own social, political, and spiritual predicament. They are all worth a second, maybe even a third listen. Othello is a play for our times. To imagine him a Muslim was to affix a new lens to our understanding of the story. It has allowed us to see the drama anew.
Shakespeare could not possibly have imagined the power and prescience that Othello holds for us today. The greatest works of art are not only a reflection of their times, but they speak to the timeless, human strengths, human weaknesses, human struggles. That oft-cited human condition doesn't seem to waver much over time. It is driven by the same passions and lusts, aspirations and desires, wants and needs that drive all human stories. Perhaps it is because of this sense of timelessness that Othello is able to offer us an even greater gift, a rich narrative canvas on which to draw the contemporary fault lines of identity, power, privilege, religion, and race, a canvas on which to understand better the world we live in today. For that, we owe Shakespeare, Richard Twyman, the incredible cast and crew of this production, and the awesome men and women who have contributed to the Othello Project, a heartfelt and profound thanks. It's taken an entire village to raise this project, so our heartfelt thanks go to everyone involved in the Othello Project. The artist-in-residence, Tanya Manira-Williams, English Touring Theatre, Richard Twyman, ETT's Artistic Director. Thanks to all the venues that hosted this production. Thanks to our tireless reporter, Aina J. Khan, to the producer, Tom Glasser, and to Amol for supporting the project. And finally, our special thanks to the executive producer and creative advisor, Abdurrahman Malik. It doesn't have to end here. As always, this and previous episodes of the Othello Project podcast, including our first series, is available at soundcloud.com forward slash English Touring Theatre and available on iTunes. I've been your host, Ramona Ali. Thank you for staying with us on the journey through this project. (laughs) 